welcome to another episode of Magic with Zuby. My name is Zuby, and if you're brand new to the show, the show is all about a little one-on-one card game called Magic the Gathering. So on today's episode, we brought on none other than Hobbs from the Goblin Lore Podcast, and we talked a lot about mental health and a little bit of magic there, not too much, um, and then a bunch of Lord of the Rings as well, too. Um, before we get into that, uh, let me get some announcements out of the way. Uh, if you want to help support the show, you can help support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash magicwithzuby, and you can find me on Twitter at magicwithzuby, on Instagram at magic underscore underscore zuby, on TikTok at mtgzuby, and you can reach out to me at mtgzuby at gmail.com, and we've got one quick little... An- commercial out of the way for magic for normies and we're also sponsored by cardsphere.com the best place to buy and sell your magic singles and sealed product and yeah so without further ado uh here is hobbs of goblin lore podcast or i should point here okay yeah there you go and that is how you beat the latest standard meta with abzan Ugh, it feels like there's no magic content out there for someone like me. Someone who doesn't want to be competitive. Someone who is... Who is... A normie? Yeah, exactly! A normie! Well, have I got the show for you. The all-new Magic for Normies show. Hi, I'm Pixie. And I'm Zuby. Together, we host the all-new Magic Magic for for Normies. Normies! It is THE Magic the Gathering show for all your normie needs. We don't care what deck got into the top 8 or what deck is winning, we care about having fun playing magic. That's right Pixie, you can watch us on Pixie's Twitch channel at twitch.tv slash pixiekittenplays and catch the VOD on our YouTube channel pixiekittenplays. If audio is your thing, you can find episodes on the Magic Wazubi RSS feed. Magic for normies. All right. Hey, everybody. Zoopy here, and I have with me the awesome Hobbs of the Goblin Lore podcast. Uh, I'm glad we can finally do this. Um, This is, what, our third time trying to do it. The first time was, I can't remember. I think I had some work thing to do, I think. Second time. No, you had, like, a family. Oh, that's right. That's, oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot. Yeah. Oh my god, that I feel terrible because yeah, it was my wife's grandfather passed away. That's right. Yep. That's right. Um, and then second time, you know, just a casual insurrection of America, exactly. and just, just a small little topple of American democracy. <laughs> and the reschedule being for today, and I think, at least on my end, no thought whatsoever that it was inauguration day. We just flat out no thought about that, and then like us talking yesterday like hey we're still recording yeah as long as there's an america (laughs) (laughs) as long as we still have a country and (laughs) you know i i know the um you know so as of this recording because this isn't going to come out until the next week which is the end of january um but as of the recording we're recording on january 20th and um this was inauguration day where joe biden got sworn in and all that and Minus all the military presence and all that, which is really unprecedented, but completely understandable because, you know, yeah, you know, just casual insurrection, you know, (laughs) (laughs) a little light. Yeah, just a little light treason. Um, But it was like I I loved I loved the the speeches and all that stuff. And um, Amanda, is it Groman or Gorman? Gorman, her her her. uh, poem was awesome 
Um, yeah, it was beautiful. And it, but overall, it was relatively, I have to say, boring. And yeah, <laughs> that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think both you and I said like before yesterday when we were talking, it was like we want this to just be a like completely unmemorable event. Like, yeah, and yeah. and I hopefully for the, you know. I mean, by and large, the event itself. Yes, we're at least recording tonight. Yes, <laughs> yeah. So you are you do um the Goblin Lore podcast, and ha- I, I guess as of this recording, have you hit a hundred episodes yet, or did did you just release? I can't remember because I know you said so, something so, about it. Yeah. So by the time this is out, um, our hundredth episode will be out. okay. Right after I get off of this today, I'm putting the final touches on and uploading. Nice. A hundred episodes. It is mind-blowing to me. Like, I never in a million years would think that I would be doing a podcast and that we'd be on episode 100. Oh, dude, totally know where you're coming from, man. It's like, I mean, did you ever see yourself even going past, like, even six months of doing this? or No. No. And funny enough... uh, just past the six month mark was actually when my daughter was born and you know I, I legitimately thought that there was a good chance that the cast would end you know at that point we were reporting there was three of us on the show yeah um, we've lost a host during this time we've like my, my child was born so there's just been like all of this stuff and no at that point I was like you know this has been this has been a great ride this has been a very good like, thing that I enjoy I really want to do it but like I I couldn't record. Like there was like, oh, yeah. two or three months getting used to a tiny human in my like my household. Complete invasion of a parasite, I guess, is what I would call it. Um, Pretty much. And we got back on track and then lost the host and decided at that point, okay, let's keep going and we've just it just it just it's great. I mean I think it I think it to me it makes sense. Um, so if people don't know the Goblin Lore podcast is kind of a, a magic lore or magic storyline magic community meets the real world it's really meeting mental health concepts or it's meeting different aspects of our community that are really focused on the gathering mm-hmm. we've interviewed podcast or i mean uh cosplayers and we've had on uh, we had on a major league baseball player which is also once again like did you get hunter pence on hunter i'm in try i've been try i've been trying to reach out to him because i i'd love to be yeah. J- just be like under the guise of, oh yeah, let's talk magic. Totally, no, we're talking baseball the entire time. <laughs> so that was hilarious. Is it was like the the point of the episode was supposed to be. Um, so we did. I ended up doing a two parter, and it was right when our other podcast host Joe, who was a huge baseball guy, um, writes uh, for fantasy football sites, like a huge sports guy. He's the one who got the ball rolling. He basically reached out to the Rangers at the point. Oh dang! <laughs> and like somehow got in touch with his agent and got it arranged but then it ended up just being like me and Hunter Pence and it was going to be like what would sports look like in magic and we had some like kind of cool conversation about you know we always see magic worlds in strife I mean that's kind of the point Mm -hmm. we're dropped into to turmoil we're dropped into war we're dropped into chaos we're dropped into something going on and like sports don't really have a role in that you know we get battle bond we get kind of the idea of running the dragon's maze, but yeah. like, you know, we're running the dragon's maze and a bunch of people are going to die. And um, like the idea of just like sports for sports and entertainment is really not there. So we kind of talked about that. And then he just started interviewing me 
which is like the trippiest thing in the world because <laughs> he didn't know anything about lore. He didn't know what the color pie was. He didn't know about the stories and the books. Like, what was cool was to learn how he had learned story through the just playing the card. Yeah. Yeah. Nicol Bolas is a bad guy. I hate when he hits the field. He's this dragon. I know that there's this concept of war with a spark, and there's all these planeswalkers, but like, didn't know what a spark was. Didn't know why. So it was what he had picked up through like arena. So some voice acting, but I mean, it was really kind of cool because he just started like bombarding me with questions about like lore base. It was really cool. Oh, that's interesting. So, so, I mean, these are things that like, yeah, two and a half years ago, you'd be like, yes, you're going to interview somebody that was on a World Series championship team. I would have been like, that's fine. I know, that's awesome. That's awesome. So yeah. how long have you been doing the podcast? Is it been two and a half years? Two, two and a half years. So our, our anniversary is in June. So that would be th- our third anniversary will be coming up in June. Oh, nice. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So what would have been, um, so you've been doing this podcasting journey, hundred episodes by the time this comes out. Um, what have some things that you've learned that, you know, maybe you want to tell other people that are interested in podcasting. It doesn't even have to be about magic podcasting, but just in yeah. general. Um, I think that some of the things that we've learned is kind of the communication if you have co-hosts because that's kind of what sunk us a few times was just that we're all people who really got along but you know being I think magic players tend to be a little bit more passive at times yeah that, that, that I, I see that it, as much as there there's the aggressive behavior that can come across on Twitter at their core a lot of magic players are, are not the best at communicating and even me somebody who teaches communication and can teaches people how to like use social skills it's not an easy thing to do um, among friends. But we started off with like not really having clearly defined roles because we just kind of, we had this framework of a show, we had a framework of kind of what we wanted to do, but you know, like, okay, Joe's gonna edit because he's the only one who knows how to edit, he's doing this, this, and this. But like beyond that, we never really had structure or understanding. Like, okay, is one of us gonna be more of the face of interviewing? Um, is one of us yeah. going to be more writing episodes behind the scenes? Uh, we just didn't really have those discussions, and, and that's something I think is important for people to have. Uh, getting an idea before you ever start recording of just a list going of episode topics. So that you yes, have, like, very important. You to keep going, like, has, like, because, like, you can have some great ideas, and then you hit 10 episodes in, and you just you don't know what to talk about. And then you're struggling, and mm-hmm. that what we learned is if we weren't putting things out consistently, it, it, it shows. Like you need to have something coming out consistently. People are going to understand about the life. I mean, ours especially. We talk about mental health and self care. People are very understanding, but they're going to be understanding to a point. You know, if, if we drop off for two months and we don't have episodes, it, it's going to suck. Yeah, you know, it's, it's very hard, and so one thing we did is we had like a planning document and we just started throwing just ideas and ideas and we still have those some of those we have still never touched on but we know that they're Uh, perfect perfect thing to talk about yeah that's um it's like when pixie and i started magic for normies um because one of my favorite names oh like there's certain names (laughs) like the whole idea of magic for normies and just like yeah, it's just oh, it is fantastic. Oh, I, and I love doing it because I've tried other podcasting um, uh, 
adventures before. I mean, n not just Ma Magic Wazoobi, yes, that's like been my main one, but I've done other ventures and it's, and you're right, like working with a co-host is very hard. Um, or, or co-host because with with magic with Zuby, i'm by myself right i have literally no one else doing anything it's it's all me um so when trying these other podcast ventures sometimes the other co-hosts would just expect me to do everything and i'm all like i can't though you know yeah. um yeah. with with magic for normies like i made it like pretty clear with pixie like I can't be the only one doing this. Like I want to, I want to do this with you, but, and we had a talk and the thing that I love about it is we both come together. And just like you said, we haven't, we have an idea, uh, top or we have a idea page. Like we'll, th we'll both go in there just throwing random ideas and, and what, whatever sticks sticks and all that. And I feel like it's one of the most important things is communication, especially behind the scenes with it. And I think one thing that we've really worked at, I think in this last year, one thing that's become more of a focus is having a mission or kind of a mission statement or kind of what we want to be doing. I mean, we, we have that broadly. Like mental health is our big focus. Like it, it is really wanting, I, for me, that was part of the draw of getting asked to be on the cast. I wanted a way to be able to talk about what I do for a living and to raise awareness about mental health topics, about stigma, about those concepts that like I get to talk about in therapy all day long, but I don't really get to do it with magic. Mm -hmm. So um, talking about self-care, talking about ways to take care of people, just you know, hitting some of these topics that I think people would probably shy away from. I mean, we've hit, we've talked about suicide. Um, we've talked about, uh, you know, depression. We've talked about social anxiety we've talked about kind of mm, i'm trying to think of just i mean just just this hard part but just like what cognitive distortions are what that concept is when it comes to bad thinking how horrible we are at we did like the gambler's fallacy but it's really this idea of how bad we are at humans at noticing randomness because we want to find patterns so yeah these are topics that are not necessarily light and so I think they get shied away from, and we do silly episodes. Like we have a whole series on color pie of food. We've like got our own taxonomy going <laughs> time about like what, how the color pie might function. But it's a great like thought experiment to, well, how do you understand the color pie? Our very first one ever was doing the color pie of art with um, Kiln Fiend Parker. Oh, Michelle. Oh yeah, I love her. We just flat out looked at different art styles and kind of tried to look at how that might fit into the color pie because it opens up ways to talk about these concepts with either non-magical audiences or audiences who maybe aren't as invested or don't necessarily have that language. So like the color pie is a like, very difficult concept and the more things you can apply it to, you can really kind of start to understand it. And I think that for me, that's what made the podcast be where we wanted to stick with it. And then this last year, we've really made a commitment that we want to build up voices for marginalized communities, but we're trying to do this in a way that is, I mean, I think what had happened was we saw after George Floyd, um, so we're located in Minneapolis, so me. Oh, and yeah. The other yeah. So, you know, very, very close to home. I mean, the, the, the actual kind of um, the protesting got within four or five blocks of my house. Like, I'm, you know, this is very much my neighborhood, my people, mm -hmm. 
this is where my wife and I chose to live in this area because of the diversity that's in our area. And so it hit very close to home. And we realized that we wanted to make much more of a commitment to kind of raising those voices when we when we could and seeking them out even more than we had kind of done to, to date. But what we found was that was kind of the list of like, well, we're just gonna invite a bunch of people from these communities to come on our show. Um, and then it becomes tokenism, right? You know, you, and what we've tried to do and what we really want to keep doing is who do we, whose work do we like? that is from these groups that maybe isn't getting the, the audience or they're maybe not having it, that we want to collaborate with. Like, anybody that we've approached about this is like, we would love to have you on the show. What do you want to talk about? It's not like, here, we want you to talk about what it means to be a black man playing magic. Yeah, yeah. Be a, a woman in our community. Like, if you want to hit on those things and those things come up in conversation organically, great. But that's not why we're having you on the show. We like your work already. We just want to highlight it. And I think that that's been kind of that, you know, like thinking about what the purpose of your cast is and what you're trying to do. No, I I, I love that. I, I'm, I'm very much of the same mind where if I bring someone on the show, it's because I genuinely want to talk to you. Um, I, I genuinely want yeah. to talk to you, understand who you are as a person. Um, and, you know, yeah, we talk magic and all that stuff because, you know, it, it's inevitable. But I've had some. It's a yeah, I've, I've had some people I've had on like we talk magic, maybe five minutes, then go on about whatever the hell else for the next two hours, you know? Yeah. So no, I love that. The one other thing is, you know, and this comes back to the communication. But if you're also thinking and this is a sign that is difficult to do. But if you can be respectful, ask people to be on your show. Like if, if you have people that you do want to work with, like approach them in an appropriate manner. You know, you don't just walk up to them and say, be on my show. But, you know, we we asked people that we were interested in talking to. And there's very many people that we thought were like, well, they'll never be on, but we're just going to ask. Mm -hmm. We're shocked because a lot of people said, like, I don't get asked. I, I remember Shivam at some point saying, like, hey, you should have saying to, uh, to people like into the Twitterverse like you should have me on your show and I think he's somebody that people might not think to ask because they say well that's a big name that's you know like he's already got a large following why would he want to talk to me and it was kind of the same thing with just a lot of the people that we've approached is we've just asked and once again not harassing people not yeah people, yeah you know like approaching and you know, we say this, we approach some people, we may never hear from them, and they're going to say, no, that's fine. But it doesn't hurt to ask somebody if they want to, and just be prepared for, they may say no. Yeah, and, you know, you just move on from that. Yeah. Though, though, from podcaster to podcaster, the worst, and I'm not going to name names or anything, the worst is when they <laughs> ghost you, right? The, and they say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'd love to come on your show. Uh, when do you want to schedule? And then you're like, okay, yeah, I've got these dates open. And, you know, blah, 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 never hear from them again. And it's like, I'll try to, it's I'll try to reach it. And I get it. I, t I totally get it. People have lives and blah, blah, blah. I 100% understand. It's just so, that's the thing that always irks me. I'd rather have you just say, no, can't do it, or just ignore me. Don't say, <laughs> don't say, yes, I'd love to come on. And then never respond back. <laughs> <laughs> like totally it's it yeah. like i'm not going to name names or anything but it's just that, that that kind of annoys me a little bit like 
And, and I, I totally understand it happens. That's just me bitching. It it. <laughs> I think that for me, that like you know, it's kind of um, that is an area I had to learn to like not take certain things personally. Like it happens, and um, I mean, what's funny is so. Yeah, I'd rather have people just ignore me. Like if they ignore me, I don't care. Whatever, move on. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was reflecting like this week actually. So I, I have been on Twitter for over ten. So I've been on Magic Twitter for over over ten years. Um, Damn, you've seen a quite of evolution yeah. of it. I've been on what six, seven years now, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it it, it really is an evolution. Like it, oh, it yeah. blows my mind to see. Like, um, and one of the things that I think is interesting is, um, I think that people who have come to know me from Twitter for the last three or four years really have seen kind of where I am now, which is this 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 person whose commitment is to like mental health, a, a lot of positivity, a lot of like self-care, a champion of those things. And I, th I was always a champion of like mental health and that stuff, but I was a very, very depressed, angry person when I kind of first was on Twitter. Um, I was not a positive person at all. I was, I was a downer. I was a negative person. So yeah. Yeah. I had my, I had my ways of that too. Yeah. Yeah, so it's weird because I have all these people talk about me. I've had people tell me, like, I love how positive you are. And, like, there still is the part of me that's like, nobody go back and look at my early tweets. Just oh, man. Don't, I... don't, don't, don't <laughs> do you, don't, you don't need to see it. Like, the, the good yeah. thing is people can grow. Yes, yes, yes. I am, proof. I am proof that you can move beyond, like, just starting arguments and arguing for the sake of arguing and... Oh yeah, yeah. Where at times? And oh man, it, it's yeah. As much as I love Magic Twitter, and I think just like Twitter in general, and I think this goes for all social media. It's just using Magic Twitter as an example is when there's the the drama of the day or the drama of the hour. Just someone said this, or and just you know whether it's valid or not, or or you know important or not. It's just sort of. I've got, and I used to involve myself a lot with those like a couple years ago and all that, but now I'm at the point where it's like, I don't want, maybe it is my privilege speaking that I don't want to get involved with it. And it's also because I also don't have the mental energy to want to get involved. And maybe it's, I find it not as important. Like, like I said, whatever the issue may be, I may agree or disagree but it's like, I just don't want to spend the energy doing that when I can be focusing on something else. I think that a big part, you know, can I tell you, you mentioned, ah, you mentioned kind of the privilege piece to it. Yeah. I think that for me, it's like, there's the element to kind of comes into play. And I think that what it is, is I try not to shirk away from, from being able to acknowledge my own privilege. Mm -hmm. and stuff. I think where it came in was not needing to respond to every horrible thing that is being said that other people are already responding to. Maybe that's a better way of thinking about it, yeah. Being like, do I have something that is very tangible to add to this conversation? Um, or am I just going to retweet and amplify something that is already horrible? Yeah. Um, and, and is known to be, and are there better people to be doing this than me? Um, and it doesn't mean that I'm not going to call somebody out if I see something. Oh, yeah, yeah. It does mean that I don't need to, like you said, I don't have to get involved and spend. And, and actively uh, seek it out. Yeah. And sneak it out. And I, and, and, and I, this has always been an issue. I mean, and, and 
to the point where I mean, I, my, I created a second Twitter account that moved a lot of my family stuff, a lot of my even some of my political stuff to there just because I needed a break from scrolling through magic Twitter. <laughs> I, am, I have impulse control issues and if it's there I will look at it yeah. now with having a second account I actually I do find that I'm able to like okay I'm just gonna go over and look see what's going on over in this more curated area in some ways no because as a creator I do feel that like I want to be engaged mm-hmm. in the community and I want to be talking to people and I have a okay enough size following but like because of having that too my twitter feed for magic my like primary one became so bloated that i would just miss stuff oh yeah would miss things miss tweets from people that i really want to see and want to know what's going on with nope totally understand that man it's um i can't man i i i can't it's just Pretty much, I, I can't do it anymore. It's just I get on there, look at some stuff sometimes, like respond, and just get off, and do that like a hundred times a day. Right. <laughs> and on my phone, next to my. Phone. Oh God, yeah, freaking, freaking smartphones. Um, so I like that you discuss a lot about mental health. I think that is extremely important. Um, and especially, I feel like. And, you you know, you're in the field of it, especially um, with who you work with um, on a day to day. I don't I don't know if you say it or anything. I don't want to. Oh, no. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm I'm a psychologist and um, I work with uh, veterans. Okay. I work at the VA. uh, VA, And I. um, Yep. One of the reasons I go by Hobbs is very specifically that it's very much a keeping my personal life and private life kind of split i mean just for an appropriateness oh oh yeah totally understand yeah and uh yeah it is funny to the point though where there are a fair number of people who do not know my real name who are like at my wedding i, mean, I guess they know it but they don't use it well just like I'm called Hobbs in public just like my nickname zuby it's it's i've had that nickname god since i was like 17 18 now or whatever it basically is my name at this point where people just i respond to it i like just even my best friend like calls me zuby and all that and he's known me for a long ass time and all that so yeah my my wife and i have been out in public and have literally had somebody like yell across the street we're like just out for a walk in our neighborhood so yeah, I mean, it, it is, but yeah, I, I, I always tell people, you know, like that's one of those things that, um, yeah, so I'm a psychologist. What is nice is about doing the podcast is I'm really able to kind of share that information and also still keep those like ethical yeah. lines of like, I'm not providing services. I'm just yeah, yeah. Doing those things, I'm just providing information and a place to like talk about something that I am very passionate about. No, definitely. And do you feel at, um, at, this the year 2021 um that the stigma of mental health is getting less and less as each passing year or do you still find there's still still a huge stigma and maybe it's because you work with more military people or I, i don't know what are your thoughts on that so i'm coming at this from the perspective of kind of uh I have been interested in this field since 2000 and something, let's say 2002, for the sake of 
uh, I was an undergrad 2002. This was my senior year of undergrad. I wrote a thesis on representation of mental health in films from the 1980s. And what I found was that there wasn't a lot of research on how mental health is represented in media. Um, yeah, I mean... But, but we watched a bunch of films and saw kind of like the... The stigma, you know, it, it was for crazy people or, you know, if you talk to a therapist, you were, you know, considered unmanly or, or not strong and stuff like that. Yeah, I totally remember that stuff in movies, 80s and 90s. Yeah, and, and, and just language of like loonies and crazy yeah. and nutso and schizo and all of this language that is still, you know, we've even had I've had this discussion of like getting rid of the word crazy from my own vocabulary is not easy to do. And I'm somebody that's keenly aware of that language. Um, I will say that seeing representations of mental illness in film and in um, TV and discussions in media, it's gotten better. I don't know how much better it's gotten. I mean, I think that there still is just an incredible amount of stigma. Twitter is a place where I see people willing to talk about it a little bit more. So we're starting to see people willing to just say that they have a mental health diagnosis mm -hmm. and what that means or that they experience these things um i don't think that it's widespread because i think one of the things that we get a trap of at times is realizing that that twitter especially is a microcosm of society and, yes um it it actually is you know that, like that idea that more people are off of it than are on it still and so even then you're only seeing it discussed in certain circles mm -hmm. you know if you want to call it an echo chamber but like i see people talking about positive aspects of mental health but i'm also following people who are going to be talking about positive aspects of mental health i can easily see people on all sides of spectrums politically or not when i look at like a, a twitter trend that are going to you know, like make fun of people and say, God, they need to be on their meds or, you know, you know, it's, it's the worst of everything we heard even about Trump was, you know, like, and, and I can't make that determination. I've never evaluated the man personally. Do I have my thoughts? Sure. Mm -hmm. But it was really just this idea that like you need to be medicated or they're all a bunch of loonies. I mean, it, and this is not, this is language coming from the people who yeah. theoretically are supposed to be the, the, the people of empathy and I do think that mental health and this idea of being crazy is because we we don't we don't know what to do with ideas that aren't normal or don't appear normal. And, and I'm going to use normal broadly. Mm -hmm. That's also a word I just don't use. But there is still a lot of stigma from all sides, and I think that it is still an area that people do make fun of people for being quote unquote crazy. Um, yeah. So it's, it's one of those things that, yeah, it, it makes me, it, yeah, it, it bums me out. Yeah. I think we, we have not made the strides that I would personally like to see. So I totally get what you're saying, like from a social media standpoint and just what we see on TV and movies. But what about what you see face to face? Um, like when you have yeah. someone coming to you and um, I obviously you don't need to divulge details or anything like that, but well, yeah. um, no, I, I know it HIPAA and all that. So <laughs> I very, I am very, very good at talking about this. So luckily, yeah, no, I've got to deal with HIPAA every day. So um, <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I will, I will say that I have seen 
I have seen a willingness even in my time working in the VA setting, I have seen a willingness to ask for help and ask for help. It's sooner rather than after something kind of like a hospitalization yeah. or something kind of getting to a breaking point that people are asking for help and see it as kind of a, it's being spun with more of this idea of resiliency. Like the military is even trying to do more emphasis on resiliency and resiliency training. What, what, what does that mean exactly? Resiliency, resiliency. Yeah. So resiliency is kind of the, like, it, it, it is kind of that flip side of focusing just on mental illness or, or symptoms. Okay. Resiliency is focusing on positive psychology or health. It's what are the habits of healthy people? So what are the things that you do to keep yourself healthy? What are the things that, that keep you resilient, that keep you from developing kind of symptoms? So if like we think of this as, um, one of my favorite things to talk about is this idea of what's called the stress vulnerability model. And this is this idea that uh, the very classic psychology 101 for anybody who's ever had it is, you know, there's always been a discussion of, you know, genetics versus environment, right? Mm -hmm. Like Na nature versus yep. nurture. And, um, you know, then for a lot of time that was really thought that it was like one or the other or in that that's really what it was. I mean, there was full debates. That's where we kind of even get Chomsky coming into play was like debating Skinner back in the day about nature versus nurture. and like lo and behold what we find is it's neither i mean it's both there's an interaction between them and it's kind of the interplay between them both stress and, and you know stress being kind of anything that's from our environment or has an effect on us and vulnerability our, our genetics our makeup our you know our substances whatever is being used to change our brain chemistry and it's the interaction between those really kind of predict what's going to happen downstream and you know a lot of mental health prior to what I talk about when it comes to this idea of what's called the recovery model of mental health, which is really also that idea that it's not to treat mental health as like illness or just symptoms or just diagnoses. It's to focus on what are goals that people have, what is, and then, you know, symptoms come in because it's what's getting in the way of those goals. It's not the symptoms themselves that are the problem. It's, you know, we even say this with like, uh, there's a whole group in England called voice hearers, and they are people that experience auditory hallucinations. Hmm. But there's no functional impairment. It's not distressing, and, and it's it doesn't it's not bothersome. They've learned to live with them. They actually find it very supportive, and you know that gets labeled as you know well they hear voices. Well, that's a symptom. Get a check mark. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that the DSM, so like the diagnostic manual that we use, everything when it comes to a mental health diagnosis technically has to have impairment. There has to be an impairment in functioning. And so from my perspective, that's what we are trying to focus on. Okay, I, you're coming into me because you're sad and depressed and can't get out of bed. Well, what are you not doing? You know, like, what are the things that you want to be doing that that is getting in the way of? How can we help those improve so that you can get to where you want to be? It's a goal-focused. It's focused on kind of... And then resiliency is then, okay, well, how do you maintain that healthy behavior? So resiliency is really kind of what are the habits that you do that help you kind of stay at your normal baseline, your day-to-day -day baseline. So is exercise something that, you know, if you exercise regularly, you know that that helps keep you mm -hmm. at an even keel. Um, sleep, playing magic. You know, what are these habits that you do? And that's where resiliency kind of comes in. And the military has had a little bit more focus on that. And 
Um, I think uh, Ian uh, Dixon was even talking about becoming like a trainer to be a like a resiliency trainer in the military. That's so, interesting. The, the other half, though, is like this is what happens. I think on the veteran side, the active duty side, there's there is some of that that they're working on rolling out. There still is very much clearly like you ask for help in the military, you could be ending your military career. I mean, you know, you do, do, you admit to depression, yeah. you admit to anxiety, you admit to suicidal thoughts. Yeah, you're done. They're, they got to take you out, especially like if you're boots on the ground type thing. Yeah, yeah, and you could easily be removed from from duty. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, we'll bring you back in, but then you know, I I know plenty of veterans that just like that that ended up being the beginning of the. Year. Do 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 you only work with veterans, or do you do active duty as well? Or is there a difference or? There is. So um, Minnesota is interesting in that we have like the National Guard. So National Guard is technically not active duty except for when you're activated. Because they're more reserved, right? Right. Like, yes. Mm -hmm. Sorry. So like the reserve. I'm actually thinking. Yeah. So like either of those is that kind of situation where um, if you had like your active duty portion like your four years or if you got activated for a deployment you can receive care at the va but you could still be enlisted in like the reserve or the government. yeah yeah um but it, that's a rare situation for the most part who we are seeing is people who are pretty much fully out of the military so uh, the the people that you see right now that are veterans um are you seeing a different age range of like you know, younger to much older patients or, and is, is that something that's relatively new that's happening, especially like older ones too? So it used to be that, you know, um, when I started at the VA, we were getting kind of the first wave of people coming out of Iraq, Afghanistan, um, those, the, what we would, Operation Injury Freedom, Operation Iraqi Freedom. Yeah. So. We, we were getting that, but the bulk of our people were still the end of the World War II veterans that were passing away. Oh, wow. So they were, a lot of them were engaging in VA care. I find that surprising, actually. Yeah, yeah well, Mike, so my grandfather died. Wow. Because my grandfather was a World War II vet in. Three years. My grandfather died three years ago yeah. in 1999. Oh, wow. My, my, mine passed away. I think three, four years ago was 96. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so like, th- that's the end of the age. But, I mean, I've also worked in the VA on it for basically 10 years. Yeah. So, 85. So, so it was at that point that, that, that basically it was very skewed towards that and, like, but Vietnam. Vietnam is your, your bulk, mm-hmm. right? Because, like, that was our biggest conflict where we had the most number of veterans. And then you basically do, like, Vietnam and then just, like, drop off like little bump from first Gulf War mm-hmm. and then now what it is is that it's really bimodal you have the Vietnam era veterans who are now actually replacing the World War II yeah. in terms of getting to the age where it's end of life stuff so our big cohorts are there and then like pretty open gap where you get people in there but it's not as common in, in that age and then our young veterans and so we're starting to see a lot more younger veterans and I mean, when I mean veteran, I'm younger, I'm going to say like 
30 and under. Yeah, yeah. No, I totally know what you mean. So another question I have for you, um, and I, like I said, this comes from someone who doesn't know anything, the way this works. Um, you know, I, I speak about my grandfather was a World War II vet, and I... And I sort of compare this with my friends who were in the military, like during the the early 2000s and just compare and contrast, like how different the training was like for my grandfather. You know, they tell me like, you know, they beat you and, you know, really instill like whatever they can to make a soldier out of you. Whereas, you know, now they, you know, they they can't physically hit you or anything like that like they could before and and also and and where i'm going with this is with a lot of like how mental health is important you know as it's getting more and more into the the public sphere um has there been or there any branches or like departments where they talk about the mental health of soldiers in like especially during training because as we all know, especially for like Marines or or just infantry soldiers, you have to really break them down in order to get them to become a soldier and all that. Like, like that that's one of the things that an outsider like me understands. You got to break down their barriers, make them be able to follow orders, be a team member and boom. And that's and a lot of that can be traumatizing for people. You know, so what is there anything happening behind the scenes that you're aware of with military to I don't want to say soften soldiers up because we we need them to be able to defend us in in case stuff happens and all that. But also in terms of maybe trying to lessen any kind of PTSD or, or or brace them to understand the horrors that they may face or. Yeah, I mean, and I, and I do think that that is kind of comes back to the the main thing that they are trying is really this idea of resiliency training. Okay. That idea that that it's teaching you skills to be able to cope with what you do and to be able to cope with it. So yes, it's still hard. It still is grueling. It is still is. Um, I think there is recognition that on the back end, when people are processing out of the military, that you know. In the past, it's really been kind of just like a, yep, here's a couple of weeks of classes to transition back to civilian life, and that's not working because part of what makes you a good soldier is to follow orders. Mm-hmm. And, to, and, and it, is, it is very true that having a black or white kind of thinking mindset is adaptive in that environment um, because you are, you know... It, 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 it literally can be a matter of life and death to not follow directions, yeah. to not follow instructions, or to not be able to react to something without thinking about it. And that's that idea. You, it's like the military re- really reinforces black or white thinking. That is the yeah. category that really gets reinforced. Um, and so we talk a lot about like unlearning that, and that's where they're trying to do a little bit better, I think, about reintegration. Because that's where the difficulty is with going to civilian life. Like, oh, oh yeah. To talk about, like you're, you didn't, like it's stressful to figure out what to eat when they get back to civilian life. Oh yeah. Think about. It. Oh, like I, I've interviewed. Um, it's like, when in, in when I was an IT manager, you know, I interviewed plenty of military people, and if the they would have been perfect for the type of position if it was a very structured role 
and because they were very structured people, you know, had great resumes, but, and I, I hate to say this, um, because like I remember just interviewing some great people, but we wouldn't hire a lot of them because we were not a structure. It was not a structured role per se. It was a lot of just, we unfortunately don't have time to train you the way we'd want you to. It's, we really need someone to hit the ground running and we don't have time to hold your hand. Cause that was just what we had to deal with and what I had to deal with as a manager too, that we just didn't have the resources to be able to, you know, hold your hand. And, and I can see where that's, that's got to be tough for military to unlearn that because that's literally all they do, you know? Yeah. And well, and, and like, and that's where it becomes difficult to, if you think of a safety thing. So I, I know a lot of veterans who, uh, you know, work in places like warehouses or, or just, you know, logistics type jobs, mm-hmm. warehouse type jobs, those types of things. And then like when, their coworkers don't follow regulations or don't follow rules. It is very stressful because not following those rules in the military can have very severe consequences. And it may not have that in the civilian world. It may not be that, you know, if you don't do things exactly by the book, it's not life or death. It's not necessarily going to be that somebody's going to end up hurt. But, like, it is very stressful to them because, you know, they see how things should be done. Mm-hmm. And... They're, they're totally okay with that. They're just, they just want people to follow the rules and do it like it should be done. And so trying to unlearn some of that, and that's where I think we need the biggest work from the point where people maybe exit the military to like, not everybody who exits gets VA care. Not everybody accesses veteran care. Um, one of the saddest stats that I've seen is, you know, if you look at the rate of veteran suicide, um, which you know, there, there's all kinds of numbers on, like, you know, the 22 veterans a day. Um, Jesus. When we look at, when we look at that, m- most of those veterans had never had, like, mental health care. They'd never accessed mental health care. You know, it's one of the things, it's a, a struggle of the thing. So, you know, like, it's seen, this is one of those things, it's like those, 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 those issues that are difficult to really understand. And I, I sometimes am trying to help people that I know understand like what the VA does and kind of what the VA gets its reputation for and where there's problems and where there aren't. Cause it's not that there's not problems, but there are some of the problems that are ascribed to like the VA are not really to do with the VA as a medical institution. Um, and this is one where we're, for us, the failure is we're not getting people to come. We're not getting people through the door. Um, but people are very hard to get to come in, and maybe they don't trust us, and maybe they don't. But like, well, I mean, j- just as a civilian who's never had to deal with VA, I mean, shit, you, I hear so many bad things about VA. Like, it takes forever to get an appointment, or you can never get a hold of anyone. And, you know, when you do get medical care, it's complete crap, and the doctor doesn't care about you. And, you know, yeah. it's like, I, I don't know any, exp- I don't know any, but who's had experience with the mental health side of it, but just from the medical side, you know, it's, I hear nothing but bad things. And then, you know, like from us, like even for me sitting in here, you know, like we get to see kind of the stats of like certain things that are, you know, like the VAs or a lot of the VAs are associated with medical school schools and residencies. And they're actually like on the forefront of a lot of medications. I mean, a lot of things, but like what people don't hear about is the fact that like, if you or I wanted to go get a specialty mental health appointment today, like if I, if you wanted to go see a psychiatrist mm-hmm. or even to get in to see a therapist, that's not happening overnight. 
If I was to call up and try to get in to see a psychiatrist for mental health medications, most mental health medications in the community are prescribed through primary care. Yep. Because if you want to get in to see a specialist, you're looking at months to get an appointment. Yeah. So when people, I don't think people realize that the wait times are not necessarily different in the VA than they are for the community. And it, it is seen as a failure because it is seen as failing soldiers. And I think that there is a, there's a whole separate piece that is attached to that. And so it makes it harder to have some of these discussions about like, well, what are the legitimate problems with the VA versus what are not? Um, and, uh, you know, another area I would say is, you know, c certain things that they've done, like, um, like the whole like system for checking, like where they check like right patient, right name, right area of the body or whatever, you know, like how they go through all of those, like when they come into your room. Yeah. That stuff was all rolled out through like the VA. All of that stuff it was actually developed and designed and rolled out through the VA. Um, a lot of stuff that is now in community care that's a standard of community care started in the VA. Um, and a lot of things that is, is hard to realize is that the best treatments, the other thing that people hear about is they hear about like the horrors of like PTSD treatment. Mm -hmm. So that, that was some of the articles that went around. Like they made me talk about my trauma. They made me relive it. They made me do this. Whereas in evidence-based practices for PTSD, like that is the gold standard. That it actually is the best approach to be able to successfully deal with PTSD. Um, because the hallmark of PTSD is avoidance. And so what, what ends up happening is it's, and I say this to people with therapy, it's my big joke when I'm working with somebody is like, I'm asking you to feel uncomfortable. I'm asking you to not be, like I'm asking you to experience things that are going to feel uncomfortable, but there's a purpose to it. Like there's a point to it because what you've been doing, you're telling me isn't working. And I do think that that's where, you know, it sounds horrible from an outside perspective of, I went to the VA and this, I got with a therapist and they just made me talk about what had happened. Mm -hmm. They did. And it's probably true that they did. And honestly, you know, if we're looking at evidence-based medicine and we're trying to be scientific and we're trying to respect science, that's what we have the best research on is being the most effective. So what do, what do we do as a country or, and what do, what do you, I guess you or the military does to try to get more people access to this help? Um, I think this is where I do think that we're seeing more improvement because I do think that we are seeing younger veterans that are being more willing to ask for help. And so I will say that I have, I have in the last five years have seen a lot younger of veterans what it was said what was happening was we were seeing older veterans who just did not get care for many many years and they only really came because things had gotten so bad mm -hmm. to the point of like they just were you know this is where the substance use was coming in this is where hospitalizations were coming in um yeah because a lot of this is all like i guess in terms of science or or i i don't know what you would call it like a lot of this is still new right it's only a couple decades old that we even have research on this because yeah you know i like I, I think back to our grandparents it's my grandpa used to call it being shell-shocked was ptsd yep. and all that and yeah 
you know, he, he, he would tell me like he'd hear a helicopter above and then just, you know, just duck down and hide, you know, beneath a chair or something like that or table. Right. But people just did it. Yeah. Right. You know, and like, well, you know, we're even finding the interesting pieces. Um, a lot of people from those earlier conflicts came back and they were able to kind of be in a society that worked around it and they returned straight to work and they worked their career and that's kind of what happened. So what, what was different back then compared to now then? Is it the type of jobs or the... I think there's a lot. I think that... Or society in general or... Yeah, that's what I was going to say. This is where we're seeing kind of the, the larger societal kind of things come in. That A lot of them probably were in the ability to just... Or what we found was this stuff wasn't talked about it was there yeah you know the family the family that you just you you just didn't talk about the fact that like grandpa got drunk and punched things a lot you know mm-hmm. that didn't just that didn't get discussed or hit grandma or whatever it was you know i mean i'm just saying like you know those things were probably just they weren't they weren't known and it's kind of one of those things that what you found was you know you, we we We've looked at this. It's like you, you got the people who had multiple DUIs and were in jail, you know, and, and, and that probably was a large part mental health stuff that was going on. It just wasn't talked about and it was or it was seen as acceptable to be a drunk and be angry about it. And now we're in a society that, you know, and, it's, and, it's, and I think that this is a good thing, but like that, that isn't acceptable to do. Yeah. We don't just kind of try to push it under the rug or we don't just you know that's and I think that that is where we're kind of seeing that there is in my experience there is more of a an awareness from younger people that they can ask for help I do think that we are seeing that and I, I just keep coming back to that like I will say that I am starting to see a lot younger people and five six years ago even then it was like the youngest the younger veterans are still harder to enact. yeah um you know and, and we're trying to do things so like um, i'm working with a uh she, well she just finished her doctorate degree last year um we're doing a D for social anxiety group mm-hmm. and we have tons of therapy groups at the va we have tons of really what i think are very good therapy groups at the va but we're not they're not going to be a wide range appeal we've easily been able to recruit people for the D group and I laugh about it because I, seven years ago when I was a trainee, I wanted to do a Magic the Gathering group, and it was kind of like one of these, like, well, we'll let you do it, but this is just kind of, like, silly. Yeah. Like, they didn't really, there was no kind of thought about it. Whereas, you know, I'm already telling them, like, hey, I did grad school in San Diego. I can tell you right now who was coming into my LGS. There's a lot of service members coming into my LGS. Yeah. And... Uh, same thing kind of happened now with this D&D group. Once again, there was kind of like, well, we let Thomas do this or Hobbs do this seven years ago. Well, this student wants to do a D&D group. Let's see what it takes. And me going before the managers and being like, I'm going to guarantee you something right now. We have way more veterans that are playing D&D than you have any idea about. Because most of our staff are not military. They don't necessarily know the culture. I mean, they know yeah. aspects of the culture. But they don't know that like you're on a ship very easy to have like somebody have a dungeon master guide a couple of monster manuals and dice and paper and yeah and paper. <laughs> you're good to go that's all you um, need and i 
and I think that is something that's kind of cool for me. Like, so that's the part that's gotten me excited lately is like, the VA has been a lot more willing to let us do some of this stuff. And like, we're beginning to kind of be able to, I think, get some of the veterans who are geeks and nerds out of the woodwork. And that's one of the things that we've done this past year. We got, we got like our third cohort of running this D&D campaign that is really meant to help with social skills and anxiety. And like, it was kind of a like we presented it there was kind of like joking about it like and then yet we've had zero problem recruiting full cohorts with almost no advertising that's awesome yeah that's totally awesome that's and no i'm glad to hear that it's becoming less of a stigma in the military um the I, i i guess maybe this leads back towards the resiliency training um because one of the things that has come from someone who knows nothing about what it's like to be in boot camp or anything, basic training. Um, but you, I'd have to assume, especially back in the day, a lot of toxic masculinity, um, a lot of toxic traits of, you know, being manly men and all that. Um, is that still, is that kind of culture still prevalent a lot in the military? Um, and is, is, do you know if they're doing anything to combat that? And like I said, I I know it's it's it probably feels so counterproductive because of the black and white nature soldiers have to be too, you know. Yeah, but I think it is recognizing that like I think what is happening is that we're having what is coming to light now that wasn't is the amount of just sexual trauma that happens in the military to both men and women. Oh yeah. So one thing that I think if you've ever researched, so like there's been a ton in the news about Fort Hood. I, I've heard about I don't know much about it though. There's just been a ton of like lots of soldiers dying, there's been, you know, uh soldiers disappearing, um women and men, but the the rates of sexual trauma in the military are still very high. And I think that I, that, that is actually probably one of the biggest problems that that we have right now um more than you know like mental health has always kind of been kind of an issue um you know one of the things that's one thing that i you know that that's been discussed too is this idea that when we need more soldiers is also the time when you don't necessarily screen as much for who is going to be successful in the military so something like when 9-11 happened and we just had a we ramp yeah, up. Ra- ramp up a lot of military. And people that probably would not have been accepted into the military get accepted into the military. And, you know, there's been some research studies done to show that, you know, people who maybe have more negative outcomes are people that probably had predisposing factors to that. And so... That's where it's kind of that thing that's kind of that hard part to say when you're talking about like, you know, what are they doing versus not doing? I think they're doing some stuff, but like we're also still seeing, and I think this is why we're seeing the younger group is we're seeing people that probably were just, you know, all of us are made up of, are suited for different things in our life. Mm-hmm. Probably, you know, mo- like I, I guarantee you that I would, I do not think that I would make a good soldier. I do not think that I really would, um, I do not think that's, that boot camp and that mindset is something that I would deal well with. Um, 
but I can see that there would have been situations maybe if I had been in certain points in my life where I would have needed to go into the military. And when we relaxed kind of letting people in, we probably were letting people, so like the number one predictor of like having a bad response to trauma is having a previous trauma. And then you take people who are traumatized and you're putting them into the military. Um, you're putting people with a lot of risk factors for developing mental health problems into situations that are meant to stress them out. And so... Well, it, I think it also doesn't help that we get people joining the military because all times they have no choice. You know, they, they come from either really bad backgrounds or, you know, poverty. Um, and because the government is so quick to, you know, you join the military, you get free college education. But what does that mean, though? Like, what are you what are you sacrificing to get that done? Yep. And, and for a lot of people, it is a it is a good option. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not doubting it. It isn't a bad option or anything. It's and I think it's hard, too, is we basically have been in wartime for a lot of people's lifetimes. I mean, I mean yeah, I want to talk about like the magic community who might be listening to this, there's definitely people that are listening to this that basically have only known the U.S. at quote-unquote wartime. Um, and yeah. I know a lot of people that served and did their four years, and that was just kind of something that you did, and did four years and served and during peacetime, and it, it was a very different experience than now. And I think that is also why when we talk about the eras, it's going to be the ones where we either had forced conscription like Vietnam or mm -hmm. now where we've just been continuously at war and ramping up the number of soldiers that are needed. Yeah. Oh, man. I, thank you for talking about this. Like, th this is the kind of stuff that I love, um, like just picking people's brains about stuff. Um, and thank you for opening up and talking about this. It's been great. Um, no, no, I, I, I like to have the opportunity because I do think that it's, um, military culture is something that's very, very, like, it is something that we have been, like, we need to do a, like, Goblin War episode on this. Because we have, I mean, and that's the thing, if you want to look around our, the Twitter community, there are a lot of service people, either active duty still, mm -hmm. or retired, or veterans, that I can, I mean, I, I can think of like that's. I have a whole like list of separate people that are that. Like, I, I, I there's a lot of people who served um, that are very active on Twitter, and I think that it is an interesting thing to learn more about as military culture. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I, I guess let's move on to a little bit lighter subject. Um, awesome. And is this is this the one that I was brought on to tell you because you're wrong? Which one? Oh, Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings talk. Yeah. Yeah. Is that what we're moving into? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Lord of the Rings. Uh, how Two Towers is the worst out of all three movies. Well, it's like the, 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 to me the fact of the matter is. So this started from a conversation on Twitter. Yeah. That's actually when I reached out to you, we were going to talk about because um, not only were you like wrong about that. What? How dare you? You're also just wrong about what you chose to be the best. Yeah, fellowship. In my opinion. It's the closest. Oh, wait, okay, sorry. Okay, never mind. For some reason, okay, then we're actually not going to be as bad. Okay. Because I thought that you chose Return of the King. I mean, it was a great movie, but hell no. I, I'm, I'm more of, I'm definitely a Tolkien purist more than anything. Okay. Okay, so then, okay, because see, that, that was my whole thing. I thought, like, 
for for one thing, two towers. Two towers is, and it was in the books. And this is where movie making gets a little weird. It is the Empire Strikes Back. It is the middle book, two books, of a series, right? So they 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 did shoot things in a way that weren't good like you know we have to win on like a high note so yeah yeah that that's totally understood um we have to move shelob to return of the king which makes sense because the time the time when they were fighting shelob in the in the book was also the time when uh Minas Tirith was also getting attacked as well too right right so we we had to move things yeah. because like the books were going back and forth but I just like I, I like middles of trilogies I like where you end with more more cliffhangers you end with more kind of uncertainty you had a big battle oh Helm's Deep was amazing it was it oh, was yeah. amazing beautifully shot and Helm's Deep is a great thing but like Helm's Deep in the, in the sense of the story is like great you won something but like you're nowhere near where you need to be. Yeah, and to me, I guess that that to, for me, for me, I, I think that it just speaks to me. Um, the the I love fellowship. Yeah, I thought that's why I, I just wanted to come talk shit about. <laughs> so so in, in and this is what I said on uh, last week's episode with Guardian Project podcast. Um, yeah, there there's two big sins of the two towers that to me to this day are unforgivable. Um, and this is coming from a Tolkien purist, all right, that I, I, I've read the books, you know, I've read, and, and I will admit, I have not read the, like, Children of Hurin, uh, The Fall of Gondolin, and Baron and Luthien, th- those books that Christopher Tolkien... Ser- Tolkien, like, took from his... Yeah, book, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. I still haven't read those, but I've read everything else. Unfinished Tales, Silmarillion, most of the history of Middle-earth, where, where it's just sort of, like, old stuff from... J.R. Tolkien's, um, you, you know, sort of like revisions of, you know, um, but so the two biggest sins I feel of two towers is Aragorn's death, um, and, and Faramir. Those are the two biggest sins for me. So with Faramir, are you talking about the fact that Faramir like seems to have a moment where he's actually gonna like. He actually is considering the ring. He, he takes the ring, and then he also takes Frodo and Sam to Skiliath, which still pisses yeah. me off to this day. And I did not like that either, and I will fully support that. I did not like that. That was one of the things that did anger me, because it was more like they needed time. They needed something. For, the hard part with Two Towers in a movie form was they needed something for Sam and Frodo to be doing. Yeah, because if you don't have Shelob, there's really not much else that happens. And, 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 like, the problem was it did go against Faramir's character. So I can I can totally get that. And it, it still pisses me off because I, I love the quote, if if it laid on the side of the road, I would not pick it up. It, to show... And, and, and I get from a movie perspective, you want to show the One Ring can corrupt anybody, right? And, and But, like, Faramir is, like... Book Faramir is supposed to be the complete opposite of Boromir, you know, and but no, they want to be like he has daddy issues instead. I'm like, what the fuck? Okay, <laughs> I can buy that. It's still not the worst. Return of the King is still the worst. So, well, and also, what about Aragorn's death? I I, I get they had to shoehorn in Arwen with it, but that that death scene, I absolutely fucking hate it. 
it, it, it makes no sense. It it, right? it doesn't. It's like it is pointless. It is. It's pointless. I mean, if you were already looking at movies that they could have cut scenes and we would have been okay with. Yeah, like don't be wrong. It's like I can never watch the theatrical editions ever again. To, 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 in my mind, they don't exist anymore. It's just the extended no, editions. Um, I only have the extended editions. Yeah. Yeah, I've actually, um, oh, you know, I want to show you something. Hold on. Hold on real quick. Yep. I showed this to, um, I, no, it was some other podcast I did. Um, I can't remember. Hold on. No, here it is. So I'm just grabbing some stuff here real quick. If you want to just like talk into the mic as I'm grabbing this stuff to fill up the dead air. To fill up the dead air. I can't hear you, but <laughs> so, and I think I did this on another episode, but, um, just to show if for people watching the video, I've got the Hobbit cartoon, the Lord of the Rings cartoon, absolute trash, complete trash. <laughs> I have thoughts there. Yeah. And then the return of the King cartoon, complete trash. <laughs> Well, <laughs> it's it's yeah, so bad. The Hobbit cartoon is amazing. Yeah. Oh yeah. The Hobbit cartoon's the great. The Lord of the Rings cartoon is so bad. because they ran out of a budget. And I know. Like Elms ends at Helm's Deep. Right. But like, there's some really cool stuff where they use like the um like the the, the the rotoscoping. Yeah, and like, and they have like the images behind. Yeah. Some cool like L like like 70s style. Yeah. But yeah. but they, they couldn't even get Saruman's name right because they, they called him Aruman because they didn't want to get it confused with Sauron. But but they still call him Saruman. <laughs> well, then the best part is it ends. And then you get picked up by, what, Rankin and Bass? Yeah. And do Return of the Keg, which is just like the complete opposite style. You get this really gritty, like, half of Lord of the Rings. And Return of the King and is then, like, complete trash. Return of the King is like the campy, like happy-go-lucky Hobbit-style animation. Yeah, it's, it's... Yeah. Okay, I'm impressed you have a... No, so I just had to show the, the, the original DVD, Lord of the Rings. That's what I have. And then I, I haven't picked up the 4K set yet, but I have the Blu-rays of The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings as well, too. See, and I need, I need a Blu-ray. I do want a Blu-ray set. I only have the... I have those same um, extended edition yeah. boxes that you have for the DVD. Oh, I, I love them. But, um, so, Return of the King, tell me... What about Return of the King that you did not like? I mean, I know that there's one big thing that I still hate to this day, and then I wish Peter Jackson never made the freaking decision for. So there's a couple of things. Um, and, and some was like, once again, the thing that bothers me the most is something that it may not have worked on in movie form, but it is the Return to the Shire. We do not get the hot yeah. and having the, 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 the raising of the Shire that we see the full influence of what Saruman was doing. And like, he's already dead at this point in this version versus like them. Yeah. in the books it's, I, I freaking love that part of the book, the, the scouring of the Shire. And it's really important because it shows how these hobbits don't fit in some ways and into the, the world that they return to. Mm -hmm. They have to return to this world. I mean, and we get this whole thing of like reintegration. Now, the second part about that is the fact is the book ended with that because Return of the King, in some ways, to, the King is, is about more of Frodo than it is about Aragorn. And 
the the framework for the whole Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit is the Hobbits. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it's these this 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 specific race that didn't really travel that like barely fit into the grand scope of middle earth and things and they're the ones who are the ones who are like the only ones that are able to basically not be fully corrupted by the ring to be able to get to that point it's mm-hmm. still like they're more powerful than like men elves anything from the corruption standpoint and then return of the king is about their journey the movies because they are movies but this is why i didn't like return of the king and where it fails me is the emphasis is on the humans, the elves, and the dwarves. I mean, the dwarf, but it's it. The focus is really not on the hobbits. Even then, they're they're background players in some ways. Even though that they do the stuff and they're there, it is really the story of men, and that is not what Lord of the Rings is for me. And so that is like the reason that that movie, I like it. I like all the movies. I yeah, yeah. Enjoy all the movies. I will watch them all the time. But but. It hurt the most because it, it, it basically took agency away from the hobbits and their story. Yeah, and it took away that. And like I said, I get from a movie standpoint that, you know, Vigo or Aragorn, I mean, um, was, you know, a main character. But I feel like, like you say, it, it definitely takes away from Frodo and Sam's heroics. Um, and not that they don't showcase them, it's just they, like you said, they feel very background character and that the scouring of the Shire really shows that not only have the three other hobbits, Sam, Mary, and Pippin have grown and are able to lead the hobbits into defeating Saruman, but also shows the horrors of war. And that's why Frodo is so passive. Like, I don't want anybody to die. You know, I, we can't kill anybody, yeah. you know, no, Let, let's just talk it out. Yeah. Like, he's background. Like he's the hero. The one whose stories will be told about from yeah. the Nine Fingers. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to the Scouring of the Shire, he is background. And that is very powerful. Now, doing that in movie, I don't know if it would have worked. I, the I, fact that it wasn't. I, I don't think it would have worked because it's... And, and, and watching a lot of the behind the scenes of like all the Lord of the Rings movies, Peter Jackson uh, really explained it very well. And, and I totally understand as much as I want to see it, it's because of the emotional highs that you have in the movie. You like you get the, de- the one ring is destroyed, right? You know, and that, that by that time, theatrical edition, it's like two and a half hours because you still have a half hour of, you know, the coronation, the gray Haven, you know, the hobbits returning to the Shire, the gray Havens and all that. Adding the scouring of the Shire would have added at least another 15 to 30 minutes of the movie. And by then it right. would not have tested well with audiences because it would have just no for, for people like us. I would have, I wouldn't have cared, you know, <laughs> but well, this is where we've grown. I and mean, what's interesting having this whole discussion is this looks very different in a world where we have miniseries. And yeah. Versus this, this was the first in some ways, this is kind of the first time we actually got something that was this ambitious that could be spread out across what we did get, like nine hours, right? Mm-hmm. Filmed concurrently across nine hours. Yeah, yeah. if you just consider the theatrical editions, yeah, just nine hours. Yeah, but like, you're not, this is something that plays better now if we had a series, right? And I mean, it, 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 <sighs> Would it though nowadays? Would it? Well, th- th- think about it. So, well, because ha- ha- the problem. Ha- how much sex would have been would be in it now? You know, 
Like, how many elf boobies would be shown? Like, I mean, Game, Game of Thrones is a good example. It's yeah. Well, see, and I was going to say it's not a good analog, and that's just because it's not finished, and they really didn't have a... Yeah, I know, I know. Versus... Fucking George R. R. Martin, motherfucker. Where, we know <laughs> where, like, Lord of the Rings was going to go. But, I mean, yes, I mean, I do think... Because, um, like, that whole... What was it? Amazon's doing a Lord of the Rings series about the second age or whatever. I'm not looking forward to that at all because I'm afraid they're going to try to Game of Thrones it and into and, right, and, and into something sexual. And I'm like, that's not Middle Earth. That's none of Tolkien's work at all is sexual in any nature. It's supposed to be like pure high, you know, rated PG fantasy type stuff. Well, and it's supposed to be quote-unquote metaphor for world war one yeah yeah like i mean that and and i i know war is not you know light and all that it has some very dark tones but as far as like the sexual nature of it which you know they're probably going to try to add or something it's like no we don't we don't need any of that we tried to add it to the hobbit i mean oh yeah with um evangeline lily and well i wouldn't really like, consider that sexual in nature it'd be more of a love story i, I guess more love story. yeah like it needed like they wanted to add a romance element yeah, it, I guess, more yeah. Anything. but yeah I, now i have to ask you what is your number one sin from return oh oh frodo telling sam to go home i absolutely i i feel like th- to me it does not make sense it it should have never happened because the way it happened in the book makes perfect sense for both Frodo and Sam to enter Shelob's lair together and then they get split up. Yeah. You know, because because Gollum is fighting off Sam and then while Frodo is running away from Shelob, there is no reason at all for Sam to start climbing down the mountain. Oh no, I'm going to go back. It's like you could have had the same exact effect where Sam shows up at the last second there because you could have shown you could have shown Sam look like he almost got killed by Gollum, right? Right, and right, right. Yeah, and I agree with that, too. So, yeah. that, that, to me, uh, I, I, I can never forgive Peter Jackson for that. And the thing that, you know, like, once again, things that wouldn't have tested well but was a shame to lose was I still am, I'm still, what, what, whatever year this is, what, 20-something years later? Oh, God. I still want Tom Bombadil. Oh, you, you know, Coyle uh, was saying that, and... As much as I love Tom Bombadil, it would not. It, it would be horrible pacing, horrible, horrible pacing. And that's the thing, and like, and that's why I do. And like, and I respect, like, I respect Peter Jackson a lot. Yeah, I really do. I mean, they they gave the reins of something like that to somebody who was a B horror movie like director. Yeah, and I actually have whole theories about why that works um, because. Him and then Sam Raimi doing Spider-Man 1 and 2 was like, in some ways, was just like really, really smart. Um, I think that they gave the material the, what it needed. Um, but just like, I understand from a filmmaking perspective yeah. completely. And it's just one of those things that like Tom Bombadil is just an awesome character that would not have played on screen. You know, I, um, and I can say yeah, yeah. It's like, I, I love them in the books. Um, there was an essay 
that I remember reading. It's back when the internet, you know, actually had websites instead of just Reddit, Twitter, and Facebook and YouTube. Oh, and Amazon. Yeah, Amazon. Um, so I, there, because I used to go to a lot of, like, that was one thing I loved with Lord of the Rings movies come out. There were so many Lord of the Rings fan sites and all that stuff. Not not just the one ring.net, but there was a bunch of them that popped up. Um, the There was a essay that I remember reading about Tom Bombadil that it, it and it could almost make perfect sense with who, because, you know, there was always a mystery of who Tom Bombadil and Goldberry or Goldmoon. Oh, God. Goldberry? G- G- Goldmoon's from Dragonlance. Yeah. It's Goldberry, right? Okay. Oh, blah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I, I've been reading up on Dragonlance lately since there's new books coming out. <laughs> um, so about who Tom Bombadil and Goldberry were and th- this. I don't even know if the essay even exists anymore, but they say it could they, it could have been Aeul or the 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 smith who basically created the dwarves and Yavanna, the 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 nature uh, Vala as well too, and the, and just like all the description in the essay, it make and it kind of makes perfect sense because Tom Bombadil, like I said, we'll never find out what he is, but he's got to be a Vala or something of some kind because if the ring has no effect on him zero effect it, like he's just like, yeah he, he <laughs> it's like he's got to be you know a vala or something else you know like there's he just doesn't give a shit about it and and, and i love i love how in the book they're like well what can't we just give it to tom bombadil gandalf's like i mean we could but he just forget about it <laughs> right <laughs> like, yeah, like it would probably get rediscovered at some point. Yeah. Like that's what we're trying to <laughs> Did it work last time we did that? <laughs> right. Um and I, so I do I could I could accept fellowship, but I could I I was really afraid that that you were saying Return of the King. No, I mean like it, it Return of the King has some great moments like I mean, uh, of course, the charge of the Rohirrim, fucking amazing, that that part. Um, the uh, y- you know climbing up Mount Doom, still one of my favorite scenes of it all, and um, just going through the caves. Yeah, bringing back like the sword that was unmade, and I mean, I, yeah, like I, I do love that. Yeah, the um, God, I, I, that's I still can't believe it took him three movies to finally get Narsil rebuilt and all that shit. It's like he should have had it from the beginning. Come on, that 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 was another thing that annoyed me. Like Aragorn's like, I don't know if I want to be king, bitch. Yeah, you do. Shut up. <laughs> he he knew as soon as he met Frodo. It's like, yeah, I'm gonna be king, motherfuckers. <laughs> I mean, I I get it from like I said, I get it from a movie perspective and all that because once again, yeah. 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 just little little frustrations like that annoy me and um they um i don't know oh so what did you think of the hobbit trilogy now now that that's some real controversial shit right there because i just recently re- rewatched it too so what can i say that is nice um I really liked um, Sylvester McCoy's uh, presentation. Of oh, Radagast? Yeah. Yeah. He, he, like, is a perfect Radagast. But, I mean, oh, okay, so I agree with that, but... We didn't need three movies. Well, well did, did we also really need bird shit in his hair? Did, did he really have to have bird shit in his hair? Like, seriously. Yeah. That worked for me. That worked. I mean, part of it is because I'm just, like, I'm going to do a weird thing. 
head. Cancer. He's actually Doctor. He's actually his his version of Doctor. <laughs> and I will tell you that man gives one of the most fantastic like panels ever. I've seen him do. I've never actually seen him before. Seen him before. Oh yeah. Um, I saw him at a Doctor Who con, which was the first place I ever met Gavin Verhey. Oh dang! This once again, we're so gonna say 2012 or 13. On 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 my Twitter, on my phone, tweeting about being at this Doctor Who con, and then I see a Gavin Verhey tweet about being at Doctor Who con, and I literally do this and go, and there he is. <laughs> That, that that uh cosplayer that looks like David Tennant is Gavin. <laughs> <laughs> it, but it was that like Sylvester McCoy's pl- panel. That's awesome. Fantastic panel. That's but, awesome. Yeah. So, um, I I just couldn't get through three movies. Before. It just was too much for me. Now, like I said, I, I'm a purist, but yep. I I do enjoy the Hobbit movies. But I have to turn my brain off. Like like I have to okay. I have to like not nitpick them at all like crazy because it's if i did then i'd never ever ever enjoy them but because there are enjoyable parts of the movies um i i love martin freeman's bilbo like he does such a good job as bilbo um he he doesn't he is a great Bilbo, and i love how they gave each dwarf a personality because in the book it was really only like thorn and balan were like the only ones who even had Thorn Moore and Balin a little bit had a personality, but it was really just those two at the most had personalities in in the original book. Um, And I love um, God. You get you get Gandalf getting to like visit the necromancer before he's figured out that it is Sauron. Like that's cool to bring that piece in. Yeah, I didn't mind bringing that in. Um, It was bringing in like. The like I said, the love story with Evangeline Lilly that just—I personally love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I like Evangeline Lilly. I like thought. I mean, she, I think she's a fantastic person. Like, I love her in Ant Man. I loved her in Lost. I mean, like, I, I personally love the little. I didn't like the story. Like, I, I loved it. I love the storyline. I'm I'm a, I'm guilty of it. I mean, like I said, it it's it it it's so bad. I I totally understand, but it's like it's a guilty pleasure. It makes me cry every single time. <laughs> Benedict Cumberbatch is a, is a fine voice for Smog once again. Oh my God, fucking Smog! It's. I mean, he's a great looking Smog. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the the scenes between him and and Bilbo worked. Yeah, that that scene was awesome. It was different movies. It that that whole battle between the dwarves and Smog. I understand why it had to happen because from a movie, it, it would be really boring for for two movies for the dwarves to travel all this way to Lonely Mountain to be like, oh, well, we're not going to fight Smog, you know? Because, yeah. well, I mean, that's what happens in the books. It's Bilbo goes, stirs up Smog, gets him pissed off, and he flies out. And the dwarves are trapped in the little hallway, and they're like, mm-hmm. I, I, guess, I guess we die. <laughs> and so, like, like I said, it's like those things. There's, like, there's moments, once again. Like, I, I love Gandalf. We get a little bit more because he kind of just disappears. For yeah. The Hobbit. So I like that we get him with the Necromancer. I like... I love Luke um, Evans as, as Bard. Oh, the, the Riddles in the Dark was amazing. Riddles in the Dark. Fantastic. Oh, my God. It was friggin' um, amazing. And like I said... I love Bard. I love Luke Evans as Bard. I thought he did a great job. Because it actually gave personality to Bard, where he was just... 
a no no name person. Though what was it, Alfred and the master of the town? I could have done completely without. And like beyond that, like I, I like it literally is just you know it's it's yeah it's like probably just half scenes with Martin Freeman and somebody else, and I'm probably good to go. But like Martin Freeman is played like many many of my favorite like literary characters. So I mean. He plays um, the he plays Doc Watson. Mm-hmm. So he plays Watson. He plays Arthur Dent. Arthur Dent. Wait, who's Arthur Dent again? Hitchhiker's Guide. To the oh, you know I haven't seen that. So the movie is like very trippy. Yeah, I, I, all I, the media is because each version's different. Yeah, I've never seen the movie. Def, never seen the show. Deaf is okay. Okay, then Martin Freeman plays Arthur Dent and. Arthur Dent is the everyman. That's the, if you've never read the book. Yeah, I've never read he's it. He's the everyman. He's just like stereotypical British everyman. And like, that's Martin Freeman. So like, he's literally played some of my favorite people. Like, I, I will watch Martin Freeman. And oh, I love him in The Office. Um, oh, yeah. And then, yeah, these are the original. Yeah. No, but um, yeah, it's like I've got a little guilty pleasure of the Hobbit movies. Um, <laughs> said, I, I know they're absolutely terrible, but um, it's. <laughs> It's just for me. It's more Middle Earth visually, and um, yeah. and I, I'm sorry. And musically. Oh, oh yeah, musically. Like I love the um, I love the death scene of Thorin when Bilbo goes sees Thorin and all that. Um, you know, dying and all that. Like that to me was like perfect. Like like almost straight out of the book. Like how it felt. You know, because like every time I read The Hobbit, like that part still chokes me up. And all that stuff. Like, you know, if more people valued food and cheer above hoarded gold, you know, it'd be a merrier world after all. And, you know, it's like, you know, fuck, man. It should be like that more, you know? I think it's where I, like I said, I think where I struggle is The Hobbit. Oh, yeah. Oh. Lord of the Rings. I totally understand. Well, a a, a lot of that was because of the studios where Peter Jackson wanted. wanted to do two movies and that was it. And no, they, no, they, and yes, and that's and, and, the nature of. And what's funny is that Peter Jackson didn't get enough time to, like, do pre-production of the Hobbit because, like, always, uh, Del Toro, Guillermo Del Toro, yeah, I can never say it. Um, like, dropped out, so he, so then it's like, oh shit, well, I guess I have to do it now, because <laughs> Peter Jackson was originally just supposed to be like an executive producer. Yep. And I think part writer or something like that. And I think he was involved yeah. with the scripts and stuff. I mean he was he was involved how- But he didn't he didn't want to direct it though. And but then when Del Toro dropped out, Jackson and and and, and I think he didn't have a lot of time for pre production either, so he had to rush a lot of stuff and you can tell that too. You can tell a lot of stuff was rushed and um it didn't. It didn't have the same love. It's still okay to like it. Yeah, it's still okay to. Like it. Oh, I mean, I. It's fine. I. <laughs> I. I like it. It's just. I mean, like I said, I have to turn my brain off though, like when watching them, because it's yeah. like, oh god, none of this happens. Like none of it. Um, but it's just nice to see. You know, Middle Earth more, and now we're getting an Amazon TV show, and I'm not looking forward to that. I almost kind of want to be like, just leave it alone, please. We got the movies, leave it alone. But you know, people love money, so. <laughs> and you'll probably still end up at least watching. Yeah. Parts of it. 
Probably. Yeah, I know. I probably will. I know, and I'm probably going to hate watch it. <laughs> like, they got this wrong. I'm probably going to be so, like, picky on it. Like, because I, I think they said they want to do Second Age of Numenor and, like, how uh, what the Kings of Numenor tried to go, like, basically defeat heaven, like, the forces of heaven, uh, uh, of Valinor and all that. And then then the gods are all like, nope, LOLs, we're going to sink your shit, bro. <laughs> <laughs> good game get good scrub <laughs> nice draft deck we brought vintage oh my god fucking <laughs> speaking of magic players um that that is always one of the things that annoys me the most when when you're drafting and especially when you have someone new in the pod too like it, you get you always get the one asshole be like Oh, who didn't draft this card? Like, how how is this yeah. still in the pack? Like, shut the fuck up. No one. Yeah, like just pass it. Yeah, take it and pass it. Be excited. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Like, like there's been times where I know I've had that happen to me. Like right next to me. Like I remember drafting cons one time, and I didn't draft the fetch land in the pack because that wouldn't have helped me win the game. You know, and then have someone like, oh my god, who passed the fetch land? I'm like, it was a windswept heath. At the time, it was worth like five bucks. Okay. Yeah, like cool. hey, take it. I don't care. Be excited about it. <laughs> oh god, I can't stand those kind of magic players. <laughs> Jesus, man. And that—that's another thing. It's like, just like so I've only listened to a few episodes of Goblin Lore podcast. Um, I haven't listened to all of them. But have you ever done an episode of um, like just toxic ass LGS players and like how much some of them just suck? <laughs> we, we haven't done specifically um we did do toxic masculinity i think i remember listening to that episode yeah so that you know, like jace is kind of the problem yeah like, yeah i remember that but but like so like some we've gotten into um yeah it just hasn't been a topic that we're just kind of like oh we need to discuss yeah. well i mean with the pandemic now it's not like there's much <laughs> Our, our, our favorite t so far is the fact that we had Chase on to discuss social anxiety yeah, and um, how to improve social anxiety by going to events and not avoiding and to open yourself up to maybe trying out these new experiences. And the episode literally dropped two weeks into the pandemic. Oh, damn. Yeah, I had her on my show, too. Um we discussed something similar because the thing that attracted me to her to want to bring her on because she, I don't know if she still does the articles now, but she used to do a bunch of mental health articles on mm -hmm. one of the websites. I can't remember which one. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what wanted me to, I prompted her to get her on the show. Um, and I loved them. Um, yeah. And that makes a good point about social anxiety because, and I think this is probably true of a lot of people is I get so excited to go to like magic fest and all that stuff. And I feel like, you know, I try to go all three days. Right. And it's like, I feel every single time I feel like I expend all my social energy on the first day. And then like when Saturday comes, I'm like, fuck, I don't want to talk to anybody now. <laughs> just leave me yeah, alone. <laughs> like, yeah. Just that idea. We, um, we talk a lot about this concept of like the, um, the, uh, the extroverted introvert. Yeah. Which is this, this, you know, the, the people who probably skew more towards that introversion side but really do enjoy going to things but it's like you need that time um alex talks a lot about this like uh him like going to like more of like um 
a convention mm-hmm. and having that place where he like goes back to the room and takes a nap or goes back to the room for a couple of hours and just like it's a good idea shuts down for a couple of hours before going back to the floor because otherwise it's like you said you you go that day one 10 hours then you go day two and then you hit sunday and you're just like i want nothing to do with any of you <laughs> right people like yeah, and so, yeah, no, and Chase is basically the third host of the show at this point. I mean, it, the joke is that she's unofficially the third host. So. And uh, and she's, um, she, I had her on, I want to say 2019 was when I had her on some point, and, like, got last year. She's, like, blown up like crazy now. Her content is just, commander content, is, yeah. she knows the format. She builds exciting and, and like, interesting decks, and then... Just like with her stream, shit. she's just so engaging. And I, I wish I had the time to do that shit sometimes. It's like, I know. It's like, because I have so much content I want to make for Magic, but I'm also at the same time working on making some RPG content. Um, oh, wow. Because I'm, I'm actually actively working on a script for a D&D episode that I'm doing. Um, and the topic is. Because I, I de- I'm one of those forever DMs, right? I do play as a player in games, but I love DMing more because I love telling the stories and all that stuff. Um, and the topic for the episode is, should you as a DM TPK, team party kill, like kill kill everybody? Because, you know, I've had a lot of um, single, single character deaths, but I've had a few points where came close to almost everybody dying. And it's like, and I feel like as a DM, you have to ask yourself, do you, depending on how far along you are in the campaign, should you and do you want to kill your whole party, right? And how would that affect the players as well and you, you know? Because I feel like as a DM, you want to see your players succeed, but you also want to make it challenging. Like, I, I feel like a team party kill at session one when everybody's level one doesn't feel as bad as compared to when they're like level 15, level 16, and they've been playing this campaign for two years and they're all about to die. And you're like, oh, fuck, I don't even want to play the game anymore. You know, so I'm really exploring that idea right now for as a DM, what should you do and how should you react and all that kind of stuff. I love I always think that's one of those things that's very interesting because it gets into this could be very impactful, but what are the yeah and so one of those maybe it's not a this is never done what are the situations would it, where it would be done and what thought went into it yeah i mean it it's a fascinating concept and i i'm excited to explore that idea like i've got so many ideas written down the the other episode i'm working on is i'm work my group is we were originally gonna do a play pathfinder last week for the first time mm-hmm. and um but then, you know, my house flooded and all that stuff. And I've been dealing with that shit. Um, it, it's been a year. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So so we're, we're going to try it again this Friday. We're going to play Pathfinder 2nd Edition. And it's been something I've been so excited to try out with them. And I want to do an episode of what it's like the transition from D&D 5th edition to Pathfinder 2nd edition to really like if you're interested in wanting to do it what are some of the things you're going to come up come across right because they're they're very similar systems but also very different at the same time 
I don't I really like it, you know, like kind of bringing this full circle from what we were talking about early on, which is like, you know, like the lessons of doing a podcast now that we're two and a half years into the Goblin War that made me think about this is like, I've had to be very selective about my content mm -hmm. and like what we, what, what I'm able to do and not do. And I do find that that, that is still just such a stressful thing because there's so much content I want to do. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Could do. And I've had to work on that balance and I do. Oh my gosh. Yes, it is that. Oh man. I, I got some like, stuff to tell you about that. That's it's tough. <laughs> right. It's it, 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 it is. And, 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 and my ability to actually be able to say no, which is something that I think, I think I'm benefited by being 40 now. <laughs> and I, I'm actually at a point where I feel comfortable and more able to easily say no or to like, tell people if I need to have a break or I need to yeah. reschedule and something. Um, it's still hard because there's still so much that I like want to do and I get very excited about and then it's just, there's just not enough. Oh yeah. And then it's the FOMO too. The fear of missing out is so big yeah. because, and you know, th this is, this is a good segue into content creation where, um, you know, and I've seen Chase express this before, and I see a lot of content creators express this where, you know, you feel like you're not good enough or you're not making it, quote unquote. And, you know, and that it's very rare. You know, I've gone through that, um, you know, and I almost thought about quitting uh, almost two years ago now um, with it. And I'm glad I didn't. Um, but it's it's a very real situation where you, if you feel like, and maybe this is just life in general because I I I am of the type of person where if I'm not doing something, I don't feel like I'm being productive. And that's something I'm working on that it's okay to relax and play video games for a couple hours as long as it's not impacting my ability to still live my life and provide for my family and all that stuff, you know. But there's times where it's hard because it's like, I'm sitting there playing Animal Crossing and I'm like, I could be working on my podcast instead, or I could be streaming instead to build up my brand. And, you know, have you had to deal with that before? And especially with podcasting or just content? This is where I do think that I've had the benefit of like, this is where I joke, like being one of the old men of magic, mm -hmm. old of magic now is that like, if I was making creation, content creation in my 20s or even my 30s, probably in my 40s, I, it's a lot easier for me than it used to be. Because at this point, um, I get my time to do this. I, you know, the podcast I've devoted myself to, um, I am able to get in a game every now and then on webcam magic. I enjoy playing it. I'm excited that I've been able to do as much as I have, but like, I also have a two-year-old daughter and a wife. We've only been married for three years. I mean, we because we're older, mm -hmm. so um, it helps combat some of that. And I think, it, or just it helps me to be a little bit more comfortable with the idea that like the coulds and the shoulds are not as bad as they used to be for me. Oh, uh, and because there used to be like if I if I don't do this, then I'm not going to get this. Option. I'm not going to get a preview card or you know whatever the. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, no, no. And I totally know what you mean. And, you know, you speaking of having a younger daughter, um, you said three year old, right? Or two year old, two, two, two. two. Um, 
And, and, you know, it, it's gotten me thinking that as my kids are getting older, like I'm going to have an 18 year old this year. I'm only 30. Fuck. How old am I? Um, thir- I'm going to be 35 this year. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's I'm going to have an 18 year old this year. And then my my youngest is going to be 12 this year. So and it's getting to a point where they're getting a lot more independent. And, you know. They're also of uh, daddy's not cool enough to hang out with. <laughs> it's like so. Not, so you feel, yeah. So I feel like I, I feel like I have a lot more time. You know, I, I do I do try and spend time with them. Like my oldest daughter, um, she we do D and D at least every other week. Um, she she she, she, she I've tried to get them both into magic, but pff, they they're not they're not competitive at all. Like they know how to play. They, they just don't but they they love role playing though so i'm glad i can do that with them um yeah. and then my youngest is i'll just try to just i don't know spend time like play a game with her or something but it's man it's maybe uh, is is this your first uh child it's, yeah so i'm i'm like the so i like um my parents were 18 and 21 when they got married Mm-hmm. I was born less than less than nine months later. Um, so uh, that's what I grew up with. Mm-hmm. I grew up with like young parents. Um, I grew up with like kind of thinking that was the expectation. And then I had my first kid at 39. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of the, I ended up going to college. I ended up going into grad school, ended up not really like just pursuing that. And my wife is a physician and she went a similar route. So no, nothing wrong with uh, that. Younger than yeah. by a couple of years, but yeah, but still, I mean, we're we're older parents. Yeah, ways, which is an interesting thing. Yeah, there there's things that um, <laughs> y- you know, being a young parent and all that, it's definitely tough. There, it's you don't know everything, and um, and like I said, I, I and I'm not saying it's got to be easier when you're older because I I think every kid is different, and you just yeah. <laughs> it, it's. I, I, I will say, like, I, I remember, like, when my daughter was a baby, like, when we got the routine down with her when she was a baby, it's like, okay, it's easy, right? You know, oh, this isn't too hard. But then when she starts walking and talking, you're just like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. That, we, yeah, that's what we're like, <laughs> the throes of getting ready to hit two. And, oh, man. You know, um, it doesn't get easier, man. It doesn't. It, oh, d- it doesn't. But I d- <laughs> But it does make me like kind of feel like, man, I really wish in some ways that I had the energy that I had when I was twenty-two. Yeah. <laughs> to keep up with it's um a two-year-old. Man, and, and then when they're teenagers and they hate you, it's like it doesn't doesn't get any easier. I'll most likely be in a home by then, so we're fine. Hey. <laughs> just just hope. Hopefully, she loves you enough to be able to take care of you. All right. <laughs> And then, you know, you wear your adult diapers and be like, Psh, payback now. <laughs> you get to change me. <laughs> God, I hope I never, I hope I never have to do that. <laughs> that would suck. Man. But, um, oh shit. What were we talking about before? Um, the whole kid shit. Um, oh, oh, content creation. Uh, yeah. Like the FOMO and all that stuff. Um, yeah, man, I, and like I said, maybe it won't happen as much. Like I've gotten better at managing the expectation of it. It's like, it's still there, you know, because obviously, you know, when you live on Twitter and it's, 
it's that fucking poison of social media where you see everybody happy and succeeding. And you're just like, oh, shit, I'm not doing anything. And all that. And I can't imagine like what my kids are going through with that. And I and I have to tell them, I have to remind them, like, oh, what you see is not real. They're just, you know, faking being happy or not faking. But, you know, they're just showing the happy moments. They're not showing everything. But yeah, it's impression. It's impression. Yeah. And it's still like, dude, even at my age, it's like, it's hard sometimes because that's all you see. You just get bombarded by everybody's happy. Everybody's happy. And you're just like, well, shit, I'm not happy. You know? Everybody's cool thing. Yeah, right. They got to do. And well, I didn't get to do a cool thing. Yeah. It's yeah. tough. It's tough. It's, um, and I feel like with just content creation in general, it's, um, for, for the people that just, and, I don't know because it's easy to say like when people suddenly make it big quickly, um, you know, what did it take for them to get there at that point? Um, you know, and then, you know, how much, and I think a lot of people don't see a lot of the work behind the scenes as well too, that happens. Um, They don't, it, it, most of the time when I see people say that they don't realize the articles that they were writing for five years that nobody was reading or the fact that they just weren't on Twitter, but they were on other platforms. And yeah. It looks like that it's this, like, quick rise, and, you know, and it, it leads to a discounting of people's work. Um, you know, I could sit here and be like, well, you know, I've been on Twitter for 10 years, like I said. I, it's not like I made any attempts. At, I wasn't doing content creation up until a year or so ago. You know, it's, it's so it's, it's you know, like... It, People, I think, sometimes get that, that are like, well, I've been around for this long. And it's like, well, yes, and, you know, like, I, I understand. I was around. I wasn't doing the work. Um, yeah. You got people that are doing the work, and it may look different to you. It may look like this, like, out of nowhere. And it's, and we'll be honest, it's used mainly for, you know, women creators and creators of color that people don't think are deserving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In our community still, that... You know, like, well, they got there for other reasons. And, yeah, you know, to, to discount what they're doing. Um, you know, I you know, I just thought of a question, I guess, for you as a uh, psychologist, right? Um, mm-hmm. When I can't give you the good drugs. Oh, so damn, damn. No, um, that's how you remember the difference. <laughs> well, damn, I was going to ask about that. No, um, I know. so. I've got a question for you about content creation. So as content creation is becoming a viable means of living, um, and, and, and it always depends on where you are, what country you are, what what state, city, yeah, and all that. Um, um, how do you see... Do you see that being a healthy choice for career as we're as it is becoming viable um and and maybe it also depends on what kind of content creator like there's streamers youtubers you know podcasters and they all have different workloads per se but how do you feel about the rise of that happening and the potential mental health toll it can take on people as well This is one of those, like, it's so new that it's, I don't think we fully know. I really just don't think that we, I don't. I mean, just in my line, okay. what I, like my, my, my specialty areas and stuff, like this is not something that I really know. Um, 
I worry with a lot of the stuff to do with like impression management and kind of some of the, the concepts of things like the parasocial relationship mm-hmm. that we're kind of seeing more and more being finally discussed about this idea that like uh, what people expect and you know if, it, if you know them online you know them in person and what that can do to somebody's mental health um, that I don't my concern becomes where people don't know what it would what it takes to be able to be successful and we don't know what the long-term success looks like even I mean, even then you know our most successful youtubers have still not have been around for a long enough a career and something like magic you know you're not going to be re- getting rich quick and retiring and yeah i don't know what years and years of that looks like yet and i i i would want somebody to be very clear about understanding like what they do and don't know about something before they would pursue a career like this makes sense yeah because i think about um you make a good point like even some of the biggest youtubers out there biggest streamers um was it like pewdiepie mr beast um markiplier i'm just naming off some names i don't really i'm those are just like the biggest ones are uh, ninja is a big streamer too um was it dr disrespect or something I, i i don't know um, and I'm sure there's other bigger ones too that I just don't know about. Um, and y- you know, just from what you can understand or even sort of like glean from social blade or anything like that, they're making really good money what they're doing. But like you said, what are the long-term consequences of that? Um, and, and obviously for people who make it big like that, you know, hopefully, you know, you can assume they're being pretty smart with their money, um, yeah. and all that stuff. Um, but no, so for I, I guess for people that are more, may, maybe the question would be magic, like maybe, what the viability of it. Actually yeah, the viability for like middle of the tier content creators who can live off this, like, say professor for example, right? Um, you you can safely assume that he's. I mean, he well, one we know he's not as big as like say the Logan Paul brothers or whatever, or uh, Logan and Jake Paul because. Um, and he's not as big as like a, a lot of the big name streamers and all that stuff, but we know that he does this full time and it's, and he's been doing it full time three, four years, something like that. All that stuff. And th- that would be almost like a good case study to understand, like how long can you keep that up for? How viable is it? And, um, well, and, and, and this is one was like me not knowing enough about that situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where did he start? Where did he start from? You know, like, did he already have capital in a place where he could? Yeah. Set up to, to be able to run the type of production that he runs, versus coming at this from you having to build your career from like the ground up. If mm-hmm. you don't have, and, and I don't know. You know, and I, I guess I bring this up because it, it's something that I see all too common, you know, just relating this to magic where you see so many people like, oh, you know, I want to make it big and YouTube or podcasting or, or streaming and all that stuff. And then, I mean, it used to be the pro tour. I mean, that was the idea. Behind yeah, it. that's what people thought. I mean, and it's. I, I don't know. And it's something that I see in, you know, younger kids as well, too, like kids that might my or kids that are my kids age also wanting to be youtubers and stuff like that and it's i feel like there's not enough information out there to really talk about the risks 
of trying to do that and not trying to pursue something that is going to benefit them in the longer run. You know, like there are people that are just extremely lucky, right? And just can strike it rich right out of the box. But that's not everybody. That's like the 1%, right? I mean, it's like the lot. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, somebody's people will do it. I mean, it, it could take a lot of work too. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that, you know, and I, I think that this is where I think of some of the people that you even mentioned. Um, well, I mean, I think of this as like the whole idea of influencers, right? It's, it's kind of like the, you know, like the Jenners that are worth a billion dollars. Well, they didn't start at zero. Mm-hmm. The, the Paul brothers were like, were like Disney actors or something. Yeah. Right. Like they already had, they already came and had wealth to them. So, I mean, like, it's a culture thing that I still struggle with. Just understanding kind of like the long-term benefits or, or mental health effects that that might have. And, and- I, I think it will be an interesting culture shift as people start doing it more and can make a living off it. Um, mm-hmm. And it also, I, I guess maybe from a perspective as a parent that worries me is, you know, it's just like my mom used to say, oh, you waste your time playing video games and all that stuff. But th- there is a viable way to make money off it now. But, you know, how what kind of focus should you put on that versus other things right it's it's like i don't know it's so tough because so much of it depends on your situation obviously like if you're able to do it and make a run for it, awesome great but it's like i feel like i see too many people who just like they think that's their meal ticket and it's like like no it's not you need to you know for lack of better words get a job essentially you know and not saying you should give that up or anything it's just i don't know i don't know where i'm going i feel like i'm just rambling on and on with it <laughs> i think it's because it is a tough question like thinking of this is you know, and, and it's so new too yeah away than having to really deal with this didn't you? yeah um, but like thinking about like yeah with a kid coming up versus you know like i i got a very consistent message of what was kind of like I would, the expectation is I was going to school and everything else. I, I, I've told my oldest, um, you know, as long as she's working or going to school, she's going to stay here as long as she wants. It's like, I'm never going to charge her rent or anything like that. Um, but she better not just be doing nothing. <laughs> yeah. And it's a hard, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that, yeah. And, and like, I think there's just so much pressure on social media, just the, internet in general where you know you, it makes this impression where you can make so much money just being an influencer and all that stuff and it's like it's not the reality it's you know unless you get lucky and all that stuff and but hey if, if anybody is listening to this and wants to pay me to wear their gear like you know just just come find me because i'll do it yeah i mean i'll sell myself out i'm i'm full with it i guess it depends on the company you know like if it's any like like ultra pro or like dragon shield or whatever like hell yeah give me yeah, that shit yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah like 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 my sponsor card sphere like psh, rip this off like you you want to do what ultra pro <laughs> no 
I'm joking. I'm joking. Carts here. Totally joking. <laughs> oh man. But, um, no, I mean, I, it's, I, I've had a really good time talking. Unfortunately, I, like I said, I wish I could keep going with this. Um, been loving. I, this has been great. Yeah. Thank you so much. I've been like really glad that we got the chance to finally report. Right. The country's still up for now. I mean, the country is still alive. It's kicking. It's still shitty in a lot. Oh of yeah. Oh yeah. I, I think that this was a discussion being had today. Like it's an exhale. It doesn't mean that work's done. Nope. Um, but, but it, I am going to be helpful for at least an hour. I don't know. I'm yeah. I want to believe that things can. Yeah. It, it's, and I, I, I said something in my discord. Cause like, you know, there's people in there that live in California and I know that's a very democratic state and all that being in Florida, it's very Republican. Um, and a lot of them were saying like, Oh, you know, they're so happy and all that stuff. And I'm not saying I'm not happy that Joe Biden's president, but it's also like, kind of like I'm happy, but then it's like, shit, I kind of don't want to say anything because I'm in such a heavy Trump County and they, they still believe like freaking the whole insurrection was like some conspiracy cover up Antifa implant. I'm like, Oh my God. And I think that's (laughs) the recognition is like things, things, you know, like it's not like the swearing in is a symbolic thing. Yeah. Um, Those people didn't go away. They were there last week. Oh, I know. And and you know, it's interesting. It's, they've always been there too, even before Trump. Um, it's I've been reading Obama's A Promised Land, um, his memoir of his presidency, and he he makes a really good mention. There's a passage in his book um, dur- when talking about the campaign against um, uh, McCain and Palin, where he considers like sort of like the spark of the modern day GOP, like the inflammatory rhetoric started with Sarah Palin. Yeah. The tea party. Yeah, tea party and... And and then it's just, it's been fan. Yeah, and it it, it kind of, like, really opened up my eyes, like, holy shit, that makes sense. Like, you, and you forget about that kind of stuff, too, because that was, you know, over a decade ago now. And, and then you think back to now of, like, shit, so Donald Trump wasn't the cause of all this. Yeah, he didn't help it. Not at all. Mm-mm. But he, it, it's been there. He's, like you said, just fanning the flames and making that hotter than ever so and it's always cool, like i guess the flip side you know and this is one thing that i've been aware of is um for people like me i've also become more aware of what needs to be done and and where the problems are N- not like the problems with with the specific just you know insurrectionist white supremacists but like with the idea of systematic racism and things that i just yeah had no exposure to at least i'm aware of them now and like that's the side that's me that tries to be the the hopeful person that i i believe i am yeah no and i feel like that's been something very important that i've learned a lot as a person in the last year um because you know i've talked with people just just understanding um you know what systemic racism is and institutionalized racism and um understanding what that exactly means and 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 just the different lived experiences that we have in america as well like as a white person 
we have a very different lived experience compared to a black or Spanish or Asian person um, and Native American as well. Um, where you know you and I we didn't grow up like that and, and and what what gets me frustrated is the people who say well you know well I grew up you know poor and all this stuff it's like it, it's and it, it, I feel like a lot of that it's like we're not discounting your personal experience we're, we're talking about just as a whole we live in different realities a lot of time uh, I think like the best example of it that came kind of came to me is like well it now take the people who are raised in poverty at the same thing and had a different color skin than you and realized that there even were differential judgments about them. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. No, I loved it. It was great. <laughs> I got to talk about so many of the things I just loved. Talking. Yeah. No. And like I said, it's for people who've listened to my show. Um, it's, I, I don't even think we barely talked about magic. Um, yeah, bar- barely. But but this is what happens. Um, it's I like I said I love picking your brain for the first hour just about you know the military and uh, mental health and all that stuff because it's something that I'm interested in. I know nothing about it, and I'll, that's why I'll ask like a million questions of just I don't know just <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we are magic players. Yeah. We just had a conversation. Yeah. No, I love it. Um, so where can people find you and your content should they want to reach out to you? Yeah, people want to. Um, um, I'm at HobbsQ, uh, so, or I am at GoblinLorePod. And so those are the two places to find me. Awesome. Uh, where can they find your podcast? Uh, Podbean is our host, uh, like our host site. But we're on iTunes. We're on Spotify. We're on most platforms that I am Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you again for coming on. It was great. Um, yeah. Uh, had a great time. I'll have to try to get you on um, to play some EDH on my stream one night. Hey, I want to, like I said, there's like my list of people I want to play with gets longer. And- I know it's, yeah. it's, um, it's like every time I get someone on the podcast, it's like, yeah, we got to play EDH and all that stuff. And for the most part, I do my best to try to get them on the stream, but then life gets in the way and yeah. you know, it happens, but we'll, we'll try something. Um, cool. But um, thanks again, man, uh, for coming on and uh, have a great night. You too. See you later. All right. Hey, everybody. Thank you all for listening to the episode. I hope you all really enjoyed it. I loved it. I could have kept going on, but this is that's one thing that stinks about recording in the middle of the week and, um, you know, especially a little bit late at night. It's like, oh, crap, I got to wake up and go to work tomorrow. But Nonetheless, I had a great time talking with him, and I hope you all enjoyed it, too. And, you know, be sure to check out his podcast, Goblin Lore Podcast, as well. He does some really good work there, and um, it's just great podcast. So thank you all again for listening and watching. Uh, Stay cool. Be awesome.